For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Phil Mershon, and we're going to talk about what it takes to become a thought leader. By the way, this show is officially our third year anniversary show. I can't believe that it's already been three years. It feels like it was just yesterday when I started this thing. And as my gift to you, the faithful listeners and the new listeners, I'm going to be picking one of you and I'm going to be providing some free mentoring to you. And you're going to want to stick around to learn more about what that is all about. But first, let's get to this week's brand new discovery. After introducing a vegetarian diet to piranhas, look what Michael Stelzner discovered. You know, security is a pretty big deal, and Facebook in particular is something that we use, and maybe we don't think so much about securing things. Well, I want to share with you a couple of quick discoveries that I've made recently. If you log into Facebook, and it's probably recommended you do this on your desktop, but I'm pretty sure you can do most of this on your mobile as well. But if you log into Facebook and you go under the little drop-down arrow on the upper right, and then you go under settings, you will see a little thing on the left that says security, and it looks like a little badge. There are a number of cool security features that you probably don't realize are there. Some of these you might be familiar with, but I'm pretty sure you won't know all of them. So I'm going to just tell you the top five that I think you should consider. First of all, turn on login alerts. What this will do is this will alert you every time someone logs into your account from a new app or a new browser. This is very valuable because if you don't recognize that and you know there's been a security problem. The other thing that I would strongly recommend you turn on is something called login approvals. And what this does is it, according to Facebook, adds an extra layer of security. And what it does is it'll text you on your phone and give you a code. Or you can go one step further and you can use what they call the the code generator. And the code generator is a, what's the easiest way to say this? A random number that's generated like every 15 seconds. And the way to get to the code generator predominantly is through your mobile device. You you open up your Facebook mobile app and uh, along the left on that long list of stuff is something called code generator. So you can use your phone and or the code generator. The good news about using the code generator is if you ever lose your phone, you can still use the code generator. And the premise there is that you already have to have an authorized uh, Facebook app, if you will, to get to the code generator in the first place. So both the code generator and the SMS uh, will provide a number that you must 
put into your Facebook login within a very short period of time in order to even get in. So those are like the uh, the basics, but there's two extra ones that I bet you don't, you're not familiar with. The first one is called trusted contacts. And with trusted contacts, you can pick three people that you really trust, and it has to be three. And if you ever get locked out of your Facebook account, the trusted contacts can get you back in. I can't tell you exactly how it works. I just know that they're providing this feature. And uh, this is probably in the situation where your account is totally hacked. And, um, you know, (laughs) anyways, there's that. And then the legacy contact is something you don't want to think about. But if you pass away, who is the person that will take over your account and carry on your legacy? So those are five little things, login alerts, login approvals, co-generator, trusted contacts, and legacy contacts. Uh, Go ahead and, you know, set that up inside of Facebook if you're not already doing that. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by... Phil Mershon. Now, you may not know who Phil is, but he is my director of events at Social Media Examiner, and he is really the guy that helps us put together all of our physical and online events and our lineups and helps us select who should be speaking and all the kind of things that go into that, and he's been working with me for a very long time. Phil, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Mike. So what we're going to do today is something a little different. We're going to go behind the scenes, and... Um, I was recently putting out some ideas and feelers on Facebook and also in the Social Media Marketing Society saying, hey, I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary of my podcast. What should I do my show on? And I was really struggling to come up with an idea. And a lot of people said, you know what? We'd love to hear the the behind-the-scenes stuff. We want to know how you make the coffee or whatever it is that we do. So I thought, you know what, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, a lot of people ask us, you know, how do I become a leader? How do I get up on a stage or how do I get up on your stage? So I thought today, Phil and I would talk about how we as a team decide who is on my podcast, who speaks at Social Media Marketing World, Social Media Success Summit, and by revealing the process that we go through behind the scenes, my hope is that you can think about how whatever industry you're in, whether it's our industry or a different industry, that the way we think is probably the way that others think when they're making decisions about whether they should allow someone to be on their show or to be on their stage. So it's my hope that through this dialogue that Phil and I are going to have today, you'll earn a lot of great insight. Uh, not earn, but you know, discover, I guess is the better word. Now, Phil, before we get into this, um, you and I have been working together for a very long time. How long has that been? Well... I was one of the very first people that you brought on in a hired capacity. So it's been over five years, about five and a half years uh, since we started. But even before that, we were working together. But before that, you were actually my volunteer marketing coordinator for a private school where I was the business manager. So we kind of flipped roles in 2010. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was it really, I think it might have even been. Before that, I think it might have. I don't know. Do you remember? Was that the year two thousand ten when you when you right? So the school, um, 
you know, my employment ended in 2009 with the school in January of 2010. You said, hey, Phil, um, you need a place to go to work so you can have a frame of mind that you're going to work. I've got an empty office. So I came over and literally within a day or two, you started throwing projects to me. So it was January of 2010. Yeah, I called Phil my special projects guy, right? <laughs> yeah, I was doing all kinds of different things for you back then. That's awesome. Well, today, Phil is a key part of our executive team, and it's really great to have you on the show. So um, let's talk about thought leadership, Phil. I mean, what in your mind does it mean? There's a few things that come to mind when I think about a thought leader, Um it sounds a little bit presumptuous if you call yourself a thought leader, but I think when we look at others who are thought leaders, there's two things. One is they have excellent forward-thinking thoughts. They're people who are staying on the cutting edge of knowledge. They're pushing boundaries. They're understanding deeply how things work, and they're able to articulate that in a way that others will listen to it. So that to me is the thought side of it, that they are exploring new thoughts, whatever the industry might be. And a leader means there's someone that others follow. There's someone that they listen to, that they're someone that they're going to follow, whether it's on social media, they're going to read what they write, they're going to listen to what they say in a podcast, or if they're speaking, they're going to go there because they want to hear them. So they're a leader in that sense. And I think there's someone who does those two things over time. So it's not someone who just does it one time, but um, consistently they are producing thought leading kind of material that people will listen to month in, month out. Well, I like, I like your description. And when I think of leader, I like how you said it's someone that people look to, um, you know, for the person listening right now, for you, you probably would, you know, love to have, uh, people that you don't know look to you because I think the benefits of that. And by the way, I used to, I used to be called one of the leading quote unquote authorities in the white paper world before I started all this stuff with Social Media Examiner. And the benefits that I got for being that quote-unquote thought leader were enormous. First of all, everybody wanted me to speak on their stages, you know, whenever there was a, uh, an opportunity that somehow fit with that area of expertise that I had. And uh, I, I just remember how the things that I had to do to earn that, I was writing articles constantly. I started a blog on the topic um, I was doing training. I was. I wrote a book on the topic. So there were so many different things that I was doing. I was summarizing industry research. So I really did, and I had a, a I think a monthly newsletter. I think if I'm not mistaken, that went out over email back in the day. That's you know that was considered almost too much. <laughs> but um, you know the benefits of being a thought leader are, generally speaking, people line up to want to you know work with you. In whatever that capacity that means for my business, it meant that I got, it was really easy for people, you know, as a, as a gun for hire, I had people lining up wanting to hire me for my services. I got paid to do trainings. I got paid to travel all over the world and teach and, you know, pretty much establishing yourself as a thought leader is a lot of work and even harder, I think, is maintaining thought leadership. And Phil, we've seen a lot of this, haven't we, over the years we've been working together. People come and people go, don't they, when it comes to thought leader? Yeah, and that's that's why I said consistency because sometimes people just want to pivot 
you know, they want to move into a new industry. They're no longer interested in the subject matter that they have kind of mastered and been speaking about for a couple of years. Uh, could just be that itch of, you know, they were they were on the cutting edge. They wanted to be the leading edge, and now they're in a new space, or they just got bored. Um, but I think thought leaders who are willing to stick with it for the long time have tremendous benefits. You know, just think of Mari Smith. Um, she's been willing to own Facebook expert and it's really paid off in spades for her this year. Absolutely. Well, um, let's, let's get into how we decide who should be on our stages or on my show. And a reason, the reason, again, I just want to reiterate to hear behind the scenes of how we make these kinds of decisions, I think is valuable because I know that while we might be a little more, um, strict, if you will, because we're in such a big industry as far as how we make these kinds of decisions, I can almost assure you that um, this is generally universal. Um, it, most of this will probably apply to almost any industry. We just happen to um, be in a really, really big space. And, and, and as such, we have a lot more kind of things that we consider. All right. So Phil, tell me, how do we decide you know, who should be on our stages? So we ask two questions, Mike. One is, what should people speak about? And the other is, who should speak about those subjects? And to answer the first question, we look very carefully at the data. We look at our annual industry report, the very things that our readers tell us. You know, we usually get three to 4,000 people each year to tell us what's going on in the industry, what do they really care about. And so we study that very carefully to understand the subject matters and what kinds of things about those subject matter that they want to know. And that influences decisions about the kinds of speakers that we need to find because sometimes it means we need to find people that we don't know about. Um, We need to find people who have expertise in something. And it will tell us that there's things that our readers really don't care about. Um, and so that, that is something that we study is the data. Yeah. Let's, but- let's pause in on that for a second, because I think this is an important take home message for anyone that wants to establish themselves as a thought leader. Um, any given quote unquote target that you're going after, like you want to speak at this conference or you want to be on this podcast, it's very important to kind of study what it is that that conference or that podcast really seems to focus on. And I think the best way to do that is to look at what their typically lineup is, right? What kinds of things are they speaking about or enabling people to speak about? Because I think a lot of thought leaders assume that the area that they're an expert in, that that every conference and every podcast in the world needs to have them on to talk about it. But what a lot of people don't think about is, well, wait a minute, put yourself in the position of that organization and ask yourself whether it's something that they are even interested in. Because I mean, you know this, Phil, we get inquiries all the time from people that are pitching us on things that are totally outside of our domain. Don't you agree? I do agree. I get emails from PR agencies and speaker agencies trying to pitch the the greatest speaker in the world. And he may be phenomenal. She may be excellent as a communicator, but it's not a fit. Um, Because it's not what our audience cares about. Yeah, and I think it's important for people to think about this like programming, right? So uh, any smart organization looks at their podcast lineup or they look at their people on their stage as like uh, programming, like you would television programming. You know what I mean? And the idea here is you want to put together a lineup of, of the kinds of content that the audience who's willing to either pay to come to that wants to learn 
because historically they've come, right, and they know what to expect, or, you know, something along those lines. So if you think about it as programming, then you might be able to better ask yourself, okay, hmm. And the fact that we use our research and then we know very precisely what we want is just a little piece of data that I wanted, that, that I think was good to set the stage. So once we know from the research what it is that our audience is interested in, you know, what's the next step? How do we decide? So there are things that we look for in a speaker, and I'll explain those criteria. And then there's places that we go to look for new speakers. Um, so let me first explain what we look for. The thing, there's four things, four basic criteria that we look for. One is, are they a great communicator? Are they excellent in their teaching skills? So we're not looking for just inspirational communicators. Uh, those are great, but that's not exactly what we're looking for. We are looking for people who can explain and teach at a very deep level how to use the different social media platforms. And so now let's that's pause, let's pause on that for a second. So a lot of people think that they're great communicators and a lot of people also think that they're good drivers. <laughs> I saw Sally Hogshead do this once. Uh, she was keynoting at Social Media Marketing World and she said, she said that um, um, raise your hand if you think, you know, she said that the uh, raise your hand if you think you're a good driver. And of course, like 95% of the hands went up in the room. And then she says, interestingly enough, research shows that only 55% of people are good drivers. So that means that about 40% of you are, are kidding yourself. You know what I mean? And I, I'm probably getting it wrong a little bit here, but what is a good communicator? I think we need to articulate a little bit more on that, Phil, because just because you're, you've got the gift of gab doesn't mean you're a good communicator, right? Yeah, so I think it's the ability to clearly transmit information and ideas in a way that moves people to action, moves them to be able to take action on the things that they've learned. So there's some people who can talk for an hour and maybe even keep you entertained and engaged, but you walk away thinking, did I actually learn something? Um, the kind of communicator we're looking for is someone who, at the end of it, you're, you've had some aha moments and you know what to do about it. So they've been able to explain it in a way that you understand and can take action immediately. And when we are um, looking to see if someone's a good communicator, what are we actually looking at? That's a great question. And it's something that people ask us all the time. It's, I like to be able to see video footage of someone teaching. So I will go look, you know, if you give me the name John Smith, and John, if you're listening right now, I don't actually know who you are. But if John Smith's who I'm looking at, I'm going to go look for every piece of evidence that I can find on the internet of him speaking. And it could be Hangouts, but ideally it's him doing live training sessions in webinars or even better on a stage. And that depends on which event I'm looking at. So I want to see extended examples. And for me, at least, uh, speaker roles reels. where people are yeah. reels, where people splice together examples really aren't very helpful because I like to see examples over at least a 10 or 15 minute period of time of someone talking about the same subject. Well, and other things that we do is we also listen to podcasts because uh, part of being a good communicator means you know, you can handle kind of the uncertainty that comes sometimes when you're being interviewed by somebody, which is a lot different than giving a prepared presentation up on the stage. And uh, that kind of hints a little bit towards one of the other points we're going to get to in a minute. But just keep in mind that a good organization is not going to just look at what you send them. They're going to seek out 
information about you. And, you know, if there's a, a lot of videos on YouTube showing your expertise and we can actually watch those and we can see, okay, this person goes, you know, into demonstrates knowledge and, and, and is a good communicator. I mean, I think those two things are so tied hand to hand. I mean, we probably should move over to step number two, huh? Yeah, we definitely should. But I would just encourage those of you who are speakers and want to be discovered as a speaker on a bigger stage is make sure to bring a video camera. It's really easy to do. And I can't believe how many people tell us I don't have any uh, footage of myself. Um, and it doesn't have to be great quality because we can, we can see past poor quality as long as what you're doing is good quality. But the second thing we look for, Mike, is do they have deep subject matter expertise in an area that we care about? And that last clause obviously goes back to our data. Um, but the first clause, do they have deep subject matter expertise? So there's a lot of generalists out there who understand a lot of things about you know, different uh, domains, let's say, within our, our industry of, of social media. They might know a little bit about Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, even Periscope, but can they go deep? Can they teach for an extended period of time about very specific things and teach people how to use it? That's what we're looking for. Yeah. And, you know, just to expand on this a little bit, um, if I was to be on the phone with them for a half an hour and ask them, questions and start peppering them with questions, would they be able to say, um, yeah, this is how you do it. Yep. This is what you do. You know, and, and there are so many of our friends that have a lot of, um, I mean, let's be honest, there's a bazillion different social networks out there. Right. And I mean, just at social media success, Summit, we're covering quite a few of them. I mean, we've got, you know, Facebook, visual analytics, content, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, tools, YouTube, Google Plus. I mean, there's a lot, right? So, so there's many marketers that are listening right now that use a lot of these different platforms and feel like they've got a pretty good knowledge of all these platforms. But we don't want someone, like if we go to your website and we don't see that you're, you're pitching yourself as the visual marketing expert or the analytics expert or the LinkedIn marketing expert, if we don't see any blog posts that demonstrate evidence and, and they're not just short blog posts, but they're deep blog posts showing details and examples. And if we don't hear podcasts that go deep into these kinds of things and see training that go deep into these kind of things, then it's kind of, um, we classify you as a generalist. And 95% of the people that are out there speaking are generalists, but not the guys that are on our stage. Because we don't want necessarily the generalist, we want to bring the, the expert. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, Phil. Well, you know, I would just say that there are people who come to us who have been recommended by their peers in the industry or by their fans. And if it's not obvious when we go to look what their expertise is, we're likely to take a pass unless there's some compelling reason that we would take another look. And that has happened. And on closer inspection, we discover there really is an expertise that the person just hasn't called it out. Um, you know, I, I would say don't be afraid to own something. You know, whatever your industry, you know, if you're a Facebook expert, don't be afraid to own that. Um, you know, I think of Ian Cleary. You know, we both love Ian Cleary and we know him as the tools guy for the social media marketing industry because he's been willing to, to wear that mantle and really own it and go deep in it and stay current so that people go to him for that. And, uh, you know, we look for those kinds of people. 
Okay, so the first thing is you have to be an excellent communicator. And these are in the order of priority, by the way. The second thing is that you need to have a deep domain expertise in an area that we care about. So those are the first two. What's next? Third thing, and this is more ideally because not everyone has this, but are they a book author? And I want you to explain why we care about someone being a book author, Mike, because you understand what this takes. Well, and I've, ri- <laughs> I've written a couple books. So um, first of all, um, I know a lot of people listening right now are like, wait a second, I, I got to write a book? Well, here's how you got to think about this. First of all, someone who's gone through the, the, the crazy uh, gauntlet of writing a book has struggled and worked very hard to try to figure out how to convey in words that others can understand whatever the topic is that they are establishing themselves as an authority in. And for example, when I wrote my book called Writing White Papers, I really had to work very hard to figure out these processes that I've been doing for years and convey them in a way that made sense to a lot of other people. That process of going through that crazy, difficult um organizing my knowledge and presenting it to the world sometimes also comes with presentations, right? So you write the book, almost always you're going to have a presentation deck prepared, which means you're beginning to to hone your craft. You're beginning to sharpen your tools, if you will. And those that have written a book are not always great communicators, right? But But you can usually tell when you read the book that they really know what they're talking about. And it is the third on the list. And the book does not need to be published by a big author. It can be self-published. It can be a Kindle book. It can even be an, a self-published ebook. But that is one of those kind of things that, that we find very valuable. I mean, Phil, am I missing anything? Well, I think I would say that we look at the quality of the book. You know, if it feels more like a children's book and not saying that people do this, but if it's mostly pictures and not a lot of text, that's going to be looked at a little differently than a 200-page book that goes really deep. So we we will inspect it, but just the fact that you've gone to the trouble sets you apart from a lot of other speakers in the industry. I had someone ask me the other day, well, what about a course? What if I put a course together? Does that count? And I said, um, actually, it's not the same. And the reason it's not the same is because you and I both know that you can, with, with something as simple as a Mac and ScreenFlow, hit record and literally come up with a course in a matter of a day. It's just not the same. While it's very valuable and it's definitely positive points if you put together a course and you're selling it, it's just not the same as, as going through and putting together a 30,000-word you know, treatise into a book. Um, and, and, you know, the other question is, well, what about a podcast? What if I have my own podcast and and I am focused on just this topic? Well, that actually is a very positive thing, isn't it, Phil? Absolutely. It is. And and we should state that most of the people that are on our stage are podcasters, almost all of them, right? (laughs) It is significant percent. I haven't calculated it recently, but I'll bet it's more than 60%. Yeah. So, and, and the reason why the podcasting thing is valuable is because when you are either interviewing every week, like let's say you had a LinkedIn marketing podcast, you know, you're really honing your craft because you're talking about it every single week. And that is pretty close to a book. It's definitely valuable. What else did you want to add on that? 
Well, I would just say I heard Neil Schaefer on a podcast last week talking about how easy it is to write a book if you are consistently writing blog posts or podcasting because you could certainly transcribe your podcast. Um, but he said, you know, you really only need 48 uh, blog posts to make a book, 12 chapters, four uh, points per chapter, 48 blog posts, and then go to the work of converting that into a book you know, and getting the editor to help you. It's not as hard as uh, it might seem to a lot of people if you're consistently demonstrating thought leadership already. But let's just be honest. Uh, there's a lot more to a book than just writing it. There's the whole promotion of it too, which forces you to think about value propositions and forces you to basically, you know, and then typically once you've written a book, you're talking about it all over the place, right? So that, that whole process, hopefully people that are listening right now can understand really does help you refine your message and makes you into a better teacher, frankly. It does. And we've seen that happen with multiple people, haven't we, Mike? Absolutely. So, so far we've got uh, recap where we are so far. So number one, excellent communication skills. Number two, deep subject matter expertise. Number three, have you written a book? And number four, and this really is the last one, but is this person known and respected in our industry? So we're looking to see, you know, what's the size of their audience, um, both on their email list as well as on their social media platforms. And is this a person that our peers are respecting? So, I, you know, I could go back to how do we find people? And this is where these intersect is we often ask our friends, you know, who do they recommend on this subject? We will even ask our audience, like Mike, you will often post a question on Facebook and say, who's a thought leader on subject X right now that you're following? And so if we get confirmation that this person is being respected in the industry and has these other three things we've talked about, that's a strong um, additive for us. Now, let me just tell you, this is what differentiates us from everyone else is this is the least important factor. This is number four, where others, for others, it's number one. So depending on what industry you're in, this could be your in, but not in our industry. Uh, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of people that have a huge following, for example, on Twitter, but they're not good communicators and they don't necessarily have the deep subject matter expertise and they haven't written the book. But people give them the stage because they have the audience. The reason, the reason they do that is because they're hoping that with that audience will come exposure for their event or their podcast. But in our case, that's not true at all. We don't, um, probably because we have a already a humongous audience, to be honest, we don't really put a lot of credence in that because we are much more focused on the quality of the, the, the content and not on the fame of the person. And um, we have learned from having done this for years, haven't we, Phil, that fame does not equal quality, does it? It's really true. And sometimes fame came because the person was producing quality, but once they started achieving fame, they stopped staying current and they rested on their former success. Now, we require, generally speaking, at least three out of four of these to be on our stage. Exactly. We require three out of four you have to be an excellent communicator. You have to have deep domain expertise. And if you haven't written a book, then you need to be well-known in our audience. So that's a steep curve. I mean, let's be honest. Every time I tell people this, they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I've been told by people that have gotten on our stage that they have worked very hard. I, I'm not going to name names, but people have told me that they've written books just to get on our stage, which is kind of shocking. But, but here's what I want people to take home that are listening right now. This isn't about us. This is the formula that you can use 
to establish yourself as a thought leader, not in our industry and frankly, any industry. If you're able to accomplish these four things, you can go really, really far. Now, Phil, let's zoom in on, you know, um, let's zoom in on not all thought leaders are made equal, right? So we have had hundreds and hundreds of people on my podcast, on Social Media Marketing World and speaking at Social Media Success Summit. But there are some thought leaders that are just above the rest and just exceptional standouts. And I want to kind of zoom in on what are the attributes that they seem to share in common. And if you want, feel free to, you know, share some examples. Sure. So number one, they love to teach, you know, so they like to learn and stay current, but they also love to turn that into teaching and they're regularly doing it. You can see us demonstrated on their blogs, you know, that they're writing thoughtful articles and they're staying engaged in conversations about that. They have Um, a passion that just kind of like ekes out of them, doesn't it? I don't know how else to say it, right? Yeah, they can't help themselves. You know, they want to learn, they want to share what they're learning with others and they want to be in dialogue about it. And so it's easy to see it. You know, you have any examples? Well, the person that recently impressed me this way was Mark Schaefer, and he's been someone who's been on our stage for quite a while, um, but I recently had a chance to spend some more extended time with him and just realized he is someone who very intentionally tries to stay current and write about things that he wants to know more about and loves to share it, and he's very free with his time if he senses that someone really wants to learn. As He's constantly taking uh, mentorees under his wing and helping them. So he's someone that comes to mind for me. Well, and for he you? looks he looks outside the box, doesn't he, for a lot of his ideas, right? Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, he's constantly citing research that's coming from the academic world or he's reading publications that aren't in the social media space and tying ideas together. He's also an avid music fan. And so he's bringing ideas together from different realms that enable him to see trends and explain things in ways that that connect with audiences, and uh, that you know that to me is someone who's going to stay a thought leader because they're doing all those things. What's great about Mark is he's a little bit older. He's probably in his mid fifties to late fifties. Um, you know, for this industry, he's one of the mature guys in the industry, and but he hasn't been around forever. I mean, this guy really has probably only actively been in the industry for maybe five years, which is a long time in social media years. But before this, you know, and he was probably in his late 40s or 50s when he started in this industry, he was doing t- something totally different. The guy He was that, a corporate marketing guy. Yeah. He intentionally made a pivot and wanted to be a speaker in this space and had never done it before. Another person that comes to mind is Brian Fonzo. He's probably one of the newer guys that, that have recently come onto my radar. And it, those that listen to the podcast will know who Brian is because he did that Mirror Cat and Periscope show um, in the last couple months on the show. And what's really interesting about Brian is Brian is one of these early adopters. And when Meerkat and Periscope came on out, he just jumped all over it. He started doing a lot of Meerkats and Periscopes and he saw the opportunity to, to very quickly try to figure out what it meant to marketers. And then and then he, he started building relationships very rapidly and then leveraged this new knowledge uh, this brand new platform and started speaking all over the place on it. And he's really probably the fastest I've ever seen 
you know, as a person who's establishing himself as a thought leader. Now, he doesn't have a book, but he has incredible passion. The guy is um, really understands the topic. He's gone out of his way to, to get to know the CEOs of both of these entities and to make inroads inside of these organizations. He's constantly communicating across his social channels to his audience, and he's meerkatting in Paris, and he's going all over the place to events and just getting to know everyone. Now, now this guy, if you look at him, you know, he's definitely an excellent communicator, very verbal, very, very articulate. Before this, he was doing Google Hangouts. Uh, he's got a couple different podcasts, and he is um, developing one of the deepest knowledge bases in Meerkat and Periscope that I've ever seen. And, you know, um, he doesn't have a huge audience yet in our space, but he's rapidly growing. So he does pretty much meet the mark for this new and emerging thing. And I think if he continues to remain focused on this, this will be very, very big for him. Totally agree. So what else differentiates other than this love of learning? I mean, a love of teaching. Well, I think it's very close to that idea, but it's a servant heart. So are they willing to give their knowledge away, come alongside people, or, you know, the, the flip side of that is, has their knowledge gone to their head? But, you know, the thought leaders who stay thought leaders for a long period of time love to help other people. I think that's the best way to say it. Excellent. Is there any, anything else that seems to stand out in your head about what makes these, some of these creme de la creme people different? They deliver. Uh, if they promise to do something, they deliver on that promise and they really over-deliver. So, you know, if they've promised you they're going to get something, it's not necessarily about timing, but it's the quality of what they've said they're going to do. And, you know, I mentioned Neil Schaefer's name earlier today. He has confided in me that when he comes to our events, he likes to give his newest thoughts, work on his best talk that he's going to circulate and unveil it at our events, which, you know, that's a great thing for our events, but that's kind of the servant mentality is he wants to serve this community um, and give his very best stuff. And that's what I love to see in these thought leaders who stay there over time. I also think the best people, like if you take Mari Smith, they are constantly staying fresh on whatever's changing in their world. And I think this staying fresh thing is something we need to like key in on for a second here, because um, in our space in particular, change is, is prevalent, right? It's constant. And there are people that have been thought leaders maybe a year ago and haven't kept up with the times. And when we ask them questions about the latest and greatest stuff, and we know that they don't seem to know anything about it, that's kind of a unfortunate circumstance because it means that they are kind of beginning to wane and people do naturally and organically come in and out of these things. But those people like Mari Smith, who are constantly on the edge, watching everything that's changing, they tend to maintain that mantle, if you will, because they're always on the edge. And I think this is a perfect transition to the last question, which is the pitfalls. You know, what are the, what are the, the challenges why do people not remain thought leaders, I guess, for a long time, I guess, is the way to ask this question. Well, we've already mentioned a couple of things. One is what you were just referring to is they, for whatever reason, don't stay current. Um, you know, could be boredom, could be the fame, uh, allowed them to become a little bit complacent, you know, that they were getting lots of requests to speak and write about a certain thing that they already know about and they don't have to keep doing the research. Uh, they're not hungry anymore. That could be some of what's going on. Um, but I think there's also 
a flip side of that, which is forgetting where you came from, you know, every great leader remembers where they came from and are willing to help people who are trying to just get started themselves. And they're not afraid of that competition, but instead they uh, try. But we've seen people, Mike, and I'm sure this happens in every industry where once you've arrived, you kind of close in the ranks and you don't want anyone else coming in to take over your space. You like your good old, good old boy network or your good old girl, whatever the term might be. But, you know, it's the insider's club. And I think in a constantly changing world, there's always space for newcomers. And a welcoming attitude is something that differentiates the best thought leaders. They're not afraid of that. Um, well, and, you know, part of this issue is that um, I call it the fame trap. Um there are thought leaders in every industry that are jerks, right? And that um, seem to have attitudes and um, are still famous. And sometimes that sends a message to the industry that that's how you must behave when you arrive. And that is exactly the opposite of how it works in our industry. Um, I don't think really anybody, if they're honest, loves being around those kind of people. And the only reason they're around them is because they're famous. (laughs) And I I think that, um, you know, we learn through the school of hard knocks. And I want to tell everyone who seeks to be a thought leader is to always remain who you are and remain genuine. And do not think that because you quote unquote got on the big stage that you hope to get on that now you can change your attitude and, and be a, and, and don't be a jerk by the way, either to the people that are around you, right? This is another thing that we learn, right? Like we, we, we watch everything. So if someone's on our stage and they're being a real jerk to our staff, that's like a real big red flag for us, isn't it, Phil? Absolutely is. It's definitely something we take into consideration. Um, you know, you so want to treat the little guy and the big guy all the same. Yeah, because let's be honest, we were all little guys once, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So this is like a really common pitfall is that, um, is that people just assume that now that they're there, they can act like what they see movie stars and musicians act like. And, and in reality, that's just never going to get you far. So we've spent a lot of time, Phil, talking about thought leadership, and my hope is that the people that are listening right now you know, are, are saying, okay, I get it. I understand that if I follow this game plan that social media examiners essentially reveal to us, um, I can probably establish myself in any particular niche, and I can tell you I've been doing this for 19 years. This stuff is universal. This stuff is universally applicable. Now, I want to transition and talk about Uh, the mentorship opportunity. Um, Prior to beginning the interview, I mentioned that at the end of today's show, I am going to offer to mentor one of you listeners. (laughs) And um, uh, Phil, I mean, you know, I've been working with a lot of people that um, that are on our stage, and I think maybe you can represent what that mentorship. I'll explain, I'll explain the parameters of it, but maybe you could explain what kind of mentorship you've seen me doing over the years for others? So you've done this informally and formally over the years. You know, you've offered coaching sessions as a prize for different uh, contests that we've run, and you've spent literally hours coming alongside people and helping them understand where they need to grow. But I think what you're describing here is the informal mentorship that you've done. You'll find someone that you feel is a diamond in the rough and you'll come alongside and offer to help them. And as much as they're interested in, you'll go with them. 
And uh, you'll do that through coaching sessions and providing critique and insights and advice. Um, some of it's just very, you know, free, do what you will with it. Other times you come alongside and are very specific about the advice. And I've seen you help many, many people uh, take off in their careers. Um, Amy Porterfield comes to mind as someone you did that for early, but we could probably list a dozen or if not dozens of people that you've done that for. Yeah. And, and I just, I want everybody to know that, um, I don't do this often and, um, you know, I just don't have time to do it for everyone, but I'm going to make time to do it for one of you. And what, what I'm going to be doing is I, I picked a category, a topic, and if you feel like this is an area that you have some expertise in and you just need some coaching to help you establish yourself as a thought leader in the space or you need some advice on how to better solidify your position as a thought leader in this space, then this mentorship opportunity with me privately I think will be very, very valuable. And I'm going to tell you what the topic is in just a sec, but first let me just kind of mention what what I'm going to offer. So basically what I'm going to offer is for one of you, I am going to spend time one-on-one with you, either on the phone or over Skype, and I'm going to really invest in helping you, first, first helping to understand kind of what you've accomplished and where you want to go. And then what I'm going to do is kind of study with you what you're doing and give you some really strong advice on how you can actually take it to the next level. And the good news about this is that, as Phil said, I have done this with a lot of people, a lot of people that I know that you all know. So um, I can't promise that what's going to come out of this is an opportunity for you to speak on our stages. Um, But I can tell you that is... I'm hopeful that that could be an opportunity. So the topic is Twitter marketing. So I'm getting specific and I'm getting narrow here. So if you are, if you consider yourself an expert in Twitter marketing and you are a good communicator, you probably haven't written a book yet. Maybe you have, maybe you're not as well known. Maybe you are, but maybe your challenge is, that you need to figure out how to really solidify yourself as that expert in Twitter marketing. The reason I chose a category is because if I open this up so broadly, it would be impossible for me to decide. So we're getting very specific in an area that um, I would love. Now, I'm not a Twitter marketing expert. So that's the good news here is that I'm not going to help you be a Twitter marketing expert. And I don't even want you to apply unless you feel like you're quite a ways down the road. And I will tell you, there's a there's going to be a pretty comprehensive application process. There's going to be multiple stages to get selected. What you need to do is you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash mentor. There you will be taken to a, a questionnaire. And um, the way it's going to work is you have to fill out the questionnaire with as much detail as possible. Our team will go through all the applicants. And then there'll be like three or four different stages until I finally get to interview the finalists and pick the winner. And then I'm going to work with you if you win. So that that's kind of what it is. I think it's just a great opportunity. I don't do this all the time. And uh, regardless of whether or not you make it to our stages, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to work with you over time to help you establish yourself as that Twitter marketing expert. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash mentor. So Phil, back to you. Any parting words on thought leadership? 
You know, I'd say be consistent. If this is something you're really passionate about, you want to be known as a thought leader, be, be consistent and persistent without being aggressive, um, you know, and get to know people and understand how to serve. You know, I will just go back to our industry report and someone who will right now remain nameless, but maybe in six months you'll know his name. But I encouraged him, study our industry report and figure out what the needs are and what's something within those needs that maybe no one else is serving or that you feel like you can especially serve and go after it. And this guy has done that and it's opened up opportunities for him that he wouldn't have imagined in three short months. And that could happen for you in your industry. Well, and my parting words are, if you really want what comes with thought leadership, then you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and do the work. This is not a, uh, you know, it's not like the matrix where you can just take the magic pill. This is really a lot of work. And if you're not scared to do the work and you understand that the positive outcomes that could come from this kind of work are worth it, then I hope you immediately begin, you know, work in your industry and really establishing yourself as a thought leader. So Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your thoughts with me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Well, I hope you found value in today's third anniversary episode. I know that uh, we're going to keep doing this for as long as we can. So thanks for sticking with us. Are you wondering what the single most important social media platform is for marketers? Well, we have that kind of data along with tons more for free in our 53-page social media marketing industry report. You can check it out at socialmediaexaminer.com. By the way, if there was anything we mentioned in today's show and you just didn't catch it, well, don't worry. We take all the show notes for you at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 157. That stands for episode 157. So by the way, if you are new to the show and you're not subscribing, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.